Hello, and welcome to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, This is another solo episode of the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. It's the first one I've done in a while. Um, You know, I've been on pause for the social isolation and the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's, you know, just haven't felt inspired. Um, But, uh last few weeks i've i've had this growing sense of a of a topic that i'm uncomfortable talking about um i'm uncomfortable reflecting about uh, within myself but it is still there regardless of if i'm comfortable with it it's a sense of intolerance um <clears throat> i um Try to frame everything in this podcast through the prism of uh, frame through the prism. <laughs> Try to look at look at everything uh, through the the prism of of recovery, and um, you know the the world's been uh, volatile lately. Let's put it that way. The United States has been very volatile, um, and you know I, I'm. I'm a person in recovery, and the social isolation of what's been going on for, you know, three months now, three months plus three months, you know, the physical distancing, the, 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 the lack of access to normal recovery, normal like 12-step programs, normal just interacting with people that I would see on a semi-regular basis that... I didn't even realize I missed them until I no longer got to see them. You know, all of that stuff weighs on me as someone in recovery. It's got away on people who are just trying to get sober right now. I mean, good Lord. Good Lord. Um, <clears throat> but it's just caused a, a change in the routine, a change in the regular, what is the normal, air quotes, you know, here this is the new normal, whatever you want to say. And I, I I can't help but think that it's hell that this has added fuel to the fire of intolerance that is kind of spreading across the country right now. I see it spreading in the in this city alone, in the city where I live in, not just in social media, but just in the city itself, amongst in the people of the city. Obviously, I don't mean the city itself. The city is just a bunch of buildings and sidewalks. It's intolerance is just... <laughs> intolerance is the real pandemic, you guys. Um, and I say that coming from my own space, right? Like... I registered it within me a while ago, a growing intolerance, a growing lack of patience when it came to people who were outwardly vocal about things and views that I disagreed with. And I don't want to be that way, right? Like, I don't say this to make me look like 
some kind of saintly person or something. I, I, you know, if, if I'm just in a cocoon of my own mind, you know, in the middle of the night or in a meditative state or in a hike or up in the mountain, you know, if I'm just kind of lost, my thought, my feeling on other people truly is that people are good, right? Like I look at other people in my approach to other people in any scenario is to presume the best about the person and always be conscious of, have my own boundaries to the extent that I can. And until they give me a reason to think differently, I'm going to approach them with the, with a kindness in my heart. I, 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 I refer to it as approaching people with love in my heart, right? Like I approach situations with love in my heart and, and recovery has given me through recovery. I've, I've learned the uh, uh, practice of trying to recognize when that's not there and reset myself. Right. And if I notice that I'm approaching a person and approaching a scenario with malice or even worse with hatred, I rarely have hatred in my heart. That one, <laughs> hatred is no good for me. Hatred is no good for anyone, but I'm not anyone else but me. And hatred is no good for me. But even malice, even disdain, whatever. If I'm not approaching a scenario with love in my heart, it gives me pause because I know that the way the world unfolds in front of me is absolutely dictated by the way I respond to this precise moment right now. And whatever's going to happen in 15 moments down the line, 20 moments down the line, a year down the line, whatever, is absolutely contingent upon the way I'm behaving right here, right now, during this breath. And if I'm not approaching right here, right now, during this breath with a with an intention of kindness, with an intention of love in my heart, the, I, the likelihood of going sideways in the future is increased, right? <laughs> and that's a nice fluffy way to look at the world. And especially when you're on a hike and you're all by yourself or you're laying in bed and you're just snuggled up against the person that you admire the most <laughs> and you uh, just, you feel good. It's easy to have a thought experiment of just everybody's good. Everything, life is good. But everybody knows that's also, uh, I don't want to say a fantasy, but it's, you know, you, you get hit with the harsh realities of life more or less the second you get out of bed, right? The more or less the second you get back to your 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 car and you're heading home and you hit a stoplight, whatever. Like, the world intervenes to disrupt our, our peace constantly, perpetually. That's what it means to be a human, it seems, right? Perpetually our peace is interrupted or lost and abandoned. And with this world today, with the politicization politicization i don't even po- turning this pandemic into a political issue when it should just be a straightforward <laughs> I, I don't, straightforward scientific issue right like just approach this in the way that it can do the most good and squash the fucking thing right like in the world where this has become a political politicized issue and then on top of that we've got protests going on all across the country, we've got people, 
I don't want to say rising up, but in some areas it feels like they're rising up. It feels like there is a concerted and uh, intentional effort to disrupt the status quo of the country and specifically unseat the power structure, right? And that's a pretty broad statement. The country is huge. It's happening in very specific locations, and it's been going on for quite a while now. But I don't mean to over... To give too much credence to the true significance of what's happening, other than people are pissed, right? There is anger, there is frustration, there is some would describe as rioting. I consider it protesting, um, and, and this is where we get into the weeds, right? And this is where I found myself, especially finding my finding it, recognizing inside of me that I'm not moving from a place of love, right? Like I get caught up in the maelstrom of social media and news and different pieces of information being just bombarded with different pieces of information and things that seem just utterly baffling keep happening over and over and over. And and I don't think I'm the only person who's experiencing a fatigue from this and when we get fatigued we get irritable and when we get irritable we're going to become intolerant right like it 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 makes sense that the level of intolerance is rising right now and people are just done just fucking done with this right and and i've participated in that i've 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 actually blocked some people on, or no, I didn't block them. I, I unfollowed a handful of people on Facebook, and and I should by handful I mean two, and by two I mean one person in particular. But that's a lot for me because I really, really don't do that. I don't just knee jerk people out of my life to whatever extent Facebook is my life. I don't knee jerk them because it's just a fucking platform. They're just people, just you know, to whatever extent they can be taken seriously on there. Who cares? And honestly, that was an, uh, uh, yeah anti-vax person and and I just I couldn't do it anymore they made some statement to the effect that the uh how did they put it the germ theory is a complete failure was the opening part of a extremely long screen and I was like I I just I'm not gonna interact with that but I really don't need to see it anymore um but also I registered let's call him old Dylan, you know, old Dylan six months ago would have just kind of rolled my eyes and kept scrolling and just ignored. But I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And, and by doing that, I found myself having a similar thought when it came to a couple other people. I just like, I just, cause I've, I've also made a concerted effort not to cultivate a social media, um, in impact or or, 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 uh, or what I see on I'm trying to avoid the echo chamber effect as much as possible so I've got people on there who I don't agree with in any form politically or at least don't seem to right there's there's I have plenty of people who don't align with me politically and, and apparently in my core values and that's intentional because I don't want I mean, I know them for other reasons. I know them, I know them because they're humans in the world, and I've interacted with them and gotten to know them in other aspects. And the fact that we don't align politically and uh, our core beliefs about the way the universe rolls out scientifically versus fantastically 
it's okay, right? It, it should be okay. It's the kind of thing that until six months ago, I would have mm, felt a little sense of at least, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I still see this, the qualities of this person as a person. I presume they see the qualities of me as a person. And even if I think that some of the things they're talking about here are fucking ignorant and stupid and they're short-sighted and blah, 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 all the things that, that I know as I'm having that feeling and uh, thinking about whatever they're saying, they could probably formulate precisely the same words directed at me, right? Like, that's just it. I'm, I'm, for me, that's a place of love. For me, that's tolerance. It's knowing that just because it feels so true to me, that isn't necessarily true, right? And more importantly, when people who I don't agree with are strident in their views and in their opinions, and even when they refer to things that are objectively false or incorrect or intentionally misleading, they're coming from their own place of, of you know, to whatever extent they're, they're moving from their own heart. It's coming from inside them in a way that isn't directed at me and it isn't taking me into consideration. It's taking their own views to the consider into consideration. Right. And if they see what I post, the converse of whatever it is, they would have the exact same series of articulated words to say, you know, this guy's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The world doesn't work like this. Like, like I accept that, right? Like I accept that about other people out there as a matter of course, as just my foundational approach to living, like the, the way I walk and navigate through the world, again, is I presume the best, right? I presume that if somebody is saying something or doing something that I disagree with, it's coming from a reality that has formed itself organically and even if I don't agree with it, it doesn't make it evil. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it their truth, their reality. And somewhere in the middle of that, there's some extent where it's self, you know, they're, they're oblivious to things. I'm oblivious to things, right? Like we're all oblivious. We're all uh, restricted to our own experiences and our own mental faculties and abilities to contemplate and empathize with other people and sympathize with other people. And we all have varying degrees of abilities in all of those facets of being a human. We all do. We're all just on some weird spectrum when it comes to everything about us, all emotions, all intellectual processing, all experiences, blah, blah, blah. You know, and when I think about people that way, I know that I, I'm never going to be able to know someone else's heart. And that's, you know, it gives me comfort to, to look at the world that way and to approach people that way. And then, and again, that's why I'm talking right now is as I've felt that being, I don't want to say crumbling, I don't want to say deteriorating, it's just... I haven't been as solid in it, and I don't like that. And I know it has to do with the world out here today, right now. Because there's so much going on, there's so much ah, divisive, so many divisive things happening, while simultaneously we are all siloed or 
remanded it home. Like our, our sphere of social interactions has been drastically reduced. And those of us who also spend time on, on social media, that's become this, it was already a grotesque extension of our, of our, of our social interactions. And now it's become like even more so because it's for better, not for better, for worse. It's been something we've had to rely on more to lean on more, right? Like I don't feel like I'm the only person who has registered this and it's all just feeding negativity. It's feeding negativity and I'm feeling that negativity inside of me. And, and I'm, I'm not at all happy about it. And I don't know. That's, that's what I wanted to talk about, right? I wanted to talk about what, what, how to remove or reduce this level of intolerance I feel within me. And and I don't know, I'm pausing because, yeah, it'd be awesome if I could you know, hoped for some systematic approach that would be something that everybody could employ. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, I, I feel like everybody could employ any of the things that I'm, I'm talking about. I don't know that most people would give a fuck or wouldn't simply just roll their eyes at me. Um... <sighs> I don't have a solution, I guess. My solution for myself is to find love in my heart, right? I mean, that's that's always my solution. That's always my solution for how to approach anything, especially things that are controversial for me, things that are triggering, um, difficult, confrontational. I try to find love in my heart before I approach it. And... Fuck if that's not difficult in practice, right? Especially when it comes to facing other people's intolerance, right? Like, that's another aspect. That's another reason why I'm bringing this up right now is, you know, I was I was at a rally last night. Last night was June 30th, 2020 in Boise, Idaho. There was a defund the police rally. And... Uh, it was the second one of those that I've attended, and the first one was I was I attended the very first one, and it was sparsely attended. Right, there was I don't know eighty people spread out, listening to a handful of people kind of try and muster some energy from a non-existent crowd, and you know the, the organizers themselves were clearly. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to critic, <laughs> give a critic, critical review of the rally that I experienced, but it was, you know, it was, it was small and it was driven by young people, you know, because unsurprisingly young people have the energy and the drive to make changes, right? Like in general, that's the people who want to try and especially push progressive ideas, right? Um, and you know, more power to the youth, I, love it right like the world hasn't beaten them down they haven't gotten compromised and good that's that's how in my opinion young people should be so everyone should be but you know life happens <laughs> point is i'd attended that one i you know took an effort to look at other people's social media posting about the the second one and they were you know they were small they were people just trying to to get their voice out there saying hey 
this is our ideas. We're not. We exist. This is a this is an approach that should be considered. You know, I mean, the defund the police thing is a nuanced position. It's not yank the rug out from the boys in blue and send them on their way. Right? Like it's change the structure. And changing the structure is difficult and it requires a lot of work and it requires, you know, the bureaucracy that goes into the world today is unfathomable. And that's the downside of youth is the lack of true awareness of what that means, right? Like they have a vague idea of, I speaking from my own experience, I had a vague idea of how difficult it is to make the man move. And now that I am a grown man and arguably part of the man to the extent, to whatever extent you, you, you have to be compromised to be a member of this society. I understand how difficult it is to just function, right? How difficult it is to make a city function and, and all of the things. And, and all of the, I'm just getting caught up in the weeds. The point is the, the fire of youth was on display and I was there for it. And I was, uh, in support of a large amount of what they were saying. I was kind of put off by some of the things they were saying, but again, from a place of, you know, moving from a position of heart, I trust that they're coming from a position of heart. I don't for a moment believe that, you know, the, the, the young 20 year old, I don't know. There's like three or four people who seem to be in charge of the thing. You know, they're, they're just there and they're, they're using the language of, of uprising and um, I don't know the, the language of violence. It didn't feel violent. It just felt, it felt like they were doing what they could using the language at their hand. And, and I don't know their hearts. Maybe they are ready to throw fucking bricks. Maybe they're ready to pull guns. I don't, I didn't get that sense from them, but again, maybe I'm naive. I don't feel that I'm that naive. I feel like I have a fairly good sense of the energy that people give off, especially in a scenario like that. And it was fine, right? Like it was, it felt uh, like a fair representation of the population of Boise as a whole, right? Like there's Boise, Idaho in general, but Boise, you know, Boise is one of the most diverse areas in the state of Idaho and it's still quite white. Right. And, and so this was a, a gathering driven by people of color and, you know, for better or worse, they are the, uh, in the minority. Right. So it felt like a minority voice, you know, organizing to try and make their minority voice heard by the city council. Right. The meetings were, the rallies were held in front of the city hall during the time the city council was meeting. Um, and that was it, right? Like there was some very, very good information that was relayed during the rally. Um, you know, they had speakers and there was some just kind of whatever <laughs> information that was relayed, right? Like it was, it was, it was benign at best, but I could see what they were trying to do and what they were trying to say. And they were going to come back and they were going to keep coming back. So, that, you know, the, the ultimate idea of changing the way that the police system works, I don't think anybody would really disagree with that short of the most ardent. I, I don't even know who it would be because even, even people who support police and who, you know, <laughs> whatever that 
the Blue Lives Matter counter, well, people who feel some knee-jerk desire to rally behind the needs of the police. I, I, I have a hard time articulating that without sounding pejorative because there is no threat to the state, right? The state is the state and the police are part of the state. So the idea that somehow they're under attack is, it's, it's a tough one to really give a lot of credence to because it's clearly being supported by, you know, by the government, by the state, by money, by power, right? The idea that they're somehow fragile and need protection is mm, a little tough to for me to accept and give my support to. But even if somebody is in that camp, they would very likely agree that police are being tasked tasked to do jobs that shouldn't be their jobs. And because they're police, they come in and act like police in scenarios where you don't need police, but because of the way that the structure is set up, the police are who are called, right? Like, all of this is what needs to change. And I got to believe most people would actually agree with that. That's just, for better or worse, the messaging is coming from a group of people that aren't the favorites of the people who support the police. Let's put it that way. Whatever. I'm trying to soft pedal around, you know, polarizing issues and, and I'm doing that intentionally, right? Because I don't want to turn anyone off as I'm talking about this, right? Because I went to the rally last night, right? I saw flyers for another rally and I was like, hmm, well, that's at least maybe they're going to get more people this time because they didn't really advertise that well the first time. So cool. I'll go check it out. I had no idea that other people had seen that and it was going to have a massive counter-protest. And this is where the notion of facing intolerance in other people is a challenging thing from my own perspective of trying to remain tolerant, right? Because again, I'm not saying that my tolerance means I don't have boundaries, doesn't, you know, that I, that I don't, it doesn't mean I want to compromise myself. It's that I want to believe the best about people. And when I showed up at last night's rally, there was easily three times, if not five times the number of people down there to counter protest the group of very small ralliers trying to, again, give their voice to the city council and explain, hey, we live here. This is our experience. We would like you to consider this. (sighs) And I pause there because I'm trying to gather my thoughts on this. The, The notion that a very small not even particularly vocal, right? Like this is, had counter-protesters not arrived, 
there would still have been maybe a couple hundred people standing on the city hall steps chanting some things that I don't personally feel comfortable chanting, things that don't come from a place of heart, certainly not from my heart, and I'm not going to throw my weight behind it, but there was other things that they were saying and other details that they were calling for and, and changes they're calling for that I absolutely agree with, which is, again, why I was there, was to show I am also somebody who, when push comes to shove, I agree that something needs to get changed, something needs to get done, and this is the most peaceful way to do it, is you stand out and you verbalize what you want to have heard in an area where the people who can actually do something about it are likely to hear it. Now, the idea that five times as many people from Idaho, in Idaho, most of whom didn't appear to be from the city, and this was a city hall meeting, so set that aside. But the idea that an extremely white, extremely conservative majority, right? Idaho is not even like a close majority. It is a 10 to 1 majority conservative, very red, very Republican, all of the things that that lean right. That's the state. The idea that an extremely small, attempting to be vocal minority needs to be reminded that they're in the minority by a very volatile group of people who... You know, they don't want to hear it. I get it. They don't They don't need to hear it. They're in a place where, you know, the uh, had they not come there, they would have never even been aware that it was happening. So they're, they're you know, I, I don't think it's a stretch for me to presume that they weren't coming from a place of heart. They were there to squash this bullshit was the the vibe that I got because where I parked I wound up walking through a gathering group of multiple motorcycle clubs who were getting ready to come you know march down to the same path that I was about to walk to get to the city hall and make sure that their presence was felt um you know and a lot of don't tread on me people and and conservatives people who don't want to hear this commie bullshit, right? And and again, the messaging from the defund the police group isn't a single voice. There were multiple voices. It's people of color, primarily people of color, providing their, uh, uh, vocalizing their experiences and all towards the intent of saying, hey, there's, this behavior is happening the behavior I'm describing, the the police are given an undue amount of uh, support. They are, you know, I, I, I again, I would venture to guess that everyone agrees that they're given monetary support and political support, but then they're kind of have the rug, rug yanked out from under them when it comes to actually addressing things that they should be, should and shouldn't be focused on, right? Like, it's basically having a rally to present a nuanced approach to something when the nuance itself is kind of not even understood by the people 
vocalizing it, right? They're just saying something is wrong. And the thing that's wrong needs to be looked at. And the people up in the city hall, they have the nuance. They have the ability to see it. And, and you know, the best you can hope for is that penetrates their ears. And they're like, huh, well, let's look at this, right? Like the best you can hope for is, hey, let's look at this. <clears throat> so again, standing there, or by the time I arrived, there was already three to one, it felt, uh, counter-protests to the rally, all of whom were wrapped in the American flag, were wrapped in a Blue Lives Matter flag, which I, I that is, I'm not even clear on how super patriotic people who stridently support the nuances of the American flag square the idea that you bastardize the thing, put a very menacing uh, approach to it, and wave that is somehow also uber patriotic. That feels like a disconnect. <laughs> Whatever. Um, they were already everywhere. It was already an agitated state. And, and again, I had been to the rally before. The source of the agitation was the counter-protesters who were insisting on shouting down and keeping the rally people silenced now the best I can think of when I'm trying to find a place in my heart to a place to conceive of where the counter protesters were coming from a place of heart is that there's this misimpression that okay there's this misimpression that there's an Antifa presence that's going to be at this rally. Now, again, I'm not part of the organizers for it, so I, I can't speak to that. I, I had been to earlier rallies, and the closest to somebody who would fit the very arbitrary description of what Antifa is, because it isn't actually a thing. It's perhaps a response to the type of counter-protesters that were present and I should point out that the counter-protesters, a very big majority of them were walking around open carrying, right? So it's not a, uh, we want to make our presence known. It's a, we are an imposing opposition that really, really wants you to fuck off, right? Like that's, there's nothing kind about it. And a otherwise benign intentionally peaceful, even if the rhetoric sounds angry, the people themselves, if you look at them, you're not going to feel threatened. The idea that those people are also somehow the same group of, I don't know. The Antifa has become a boogeyman that clearly by the, the volume and the <clears throat> you know, veracity, fer ferocity with which the counter-protesters showed up, my only thing I can assume is they expected there to be riots and shit going on driven by Antifa or the Antifa-like things that would be left-leaning uh, uh, rioting that they've seen on social media happening in other cities and they don't want it, right? Okay, 
They don't want it. Show up with your guns. Show up with a flag. Show up with 10, 10 of your buddies. The scenario that happened, the scene that occurred, is now the same group of, again, fairly minority, uh, minority in terms of their perspective, and vocal to the extent that they can be vocal. They have a microphone, and again, if the counter-protesters weren't there, it would have been a couple hundred people chanting a bunch of stuff, saying a bunch of things, some of which comes across more violent than it should. That's my opinion. But it wouldn't have resulted in any kind of violence, any kind of threat to anything. There could have been a couple of security guard police officers ha- hanging around, uh, and that would have been more than enough presence to to, to deal with it. I, you know, even if the rally had grown four times in size from the first one I'd attended, it still wouldn't have been a blip on the radar. Counter-protesters showing up, creating an environment of strife, I have to believe that that's where the boogeyman of the Antifa uh, response from the left is born from, right? It's it's a it's a they feel threatened, so they're going to threaten back. Whatever. I'm not. I don't have that in my heart, so all of it is conjecture. But considering that that is the reality that counter protesters had seen or expected or feel when they see any of this, you know, stuff happening. The, you know, again, the media images of what's going on in protests across the country, easily, uh, you know, shots of which, clips of which can easily be translated as rioting in terms of whatever the fuck is happening and whatever these situations. And again, I got to believe a lot of that is ignited by the strife that's being felt on both sides of this issue, if you want to put it that way, right? Like people who, I, I, I have a hard time calling it two issues because at its core, the defund the police, the BLM movement is again, just saying we want our rights to be recognized, right? And our, I'm speaking in quotations there, right? Like, yeah, the world is better since the civil rights movement 50 some odd years ago, but it's still not perfect and it still has problems. And the biggest one being the, (laughs) you know, whether you believe the statistics or not, it, it damn well appears as though people of color are targeted more uh, violently by the police, right? Like that's where the movement began. And the nuance of it is let's change the way the structure is and all, all, all the things leading up to that. And it's hard for me to square hearing that as people's experience and the response being, no, it's not. It, it is their experience. So if they're coming from a place of heart, their response will not be, no, it's not. It will be, hmm, why do you feel that way? Let's look at it. Let's understand this, right? <sighs> but 
I don't know other people. I only know me. And so when I'm watching people counter-protesting a very small, peaceful rally, all I can imagine as they're moving from the heart motivation is somewhere buried beneath the rhetoric and the bravado and the machismo of walking around with a flipping semi-automatic rifle slung over your shoulder in downtown Boise with hundreds of people. All I can imagine is, to them, the reality is there is some kind of tinderbox that's going to get ignited and it's going to be driven by the left-leaning radicals who are having this defund the police rally and so in order to air quotes save the city they need to show up and make their presence known right save the city from these boogeymen of the antifa left and i feel i'm being generous but if the perspective as they see it is that the BLM is itself a violent movement, right? Like, and I, I intentionally don't consume the same sources of news as presumably, presumably these people do, and who knows where they're getting their information. My guess is their information says that BLM is, at its core, a violent, anti-government, anti-establishment. I, I don't know what the right terminology would be, but it, it ain't what they like. And so it's seen as a threat to their way of life. It's seen as a threat to the status quo, however you want to put it. And so they're coming there to protect their way of life, right? And to say, you know, and, and if and if they genuinely believe that it's at its core, the BLM movement is at its core a violent uprising. Okay then I can appreciate why there would be a need to show up in force. The solution to that is communicating the reality, right? And I fully acknowledge that that's not an even playing field. I, 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 it's not a stretch that someone who feels the desire to roll up with two guns on their hips and an American flag and shouting fairly negative things at a group of people when they're trying to just be quiet, literally during moments of silence, just shouting negative things, some racist things. You know, it, it's not, I don't think, a, a massive stretch to say that that person's not going to be someone that's easy to communicate with. But it's still the best that we can do to get through to them them to get through to anyone, right? The best that anyone can do, the best I can do is approach that person with heart and hopefully impact them in a positive way that makes them think about their own behavior and their response to what's going on. Granted, I'm, I'm, this is a thought experiment, right? Like I, I register, once violence starts to happen, violence is met with violence. And, and that, that actually is underlying this, is, is the mob mentality was quickly kicking into gear. And 
the mob mentality, everything I've been saying goes away. Right? You can't approach with heart in a mob mentality, right? Not being a part of it, not being approached by one. Once it gets to that point, it's chaotic, and I'm I'm not someone who in any way <laughs> relishes or thinks chaos is going to be good. I do have a thought. I mean, when I've, I've heard many people counter BLM statistics and BLM uh, uh, views that people of color are unduly targeted and, and you know, have a higher propensity for being killed or at least hurt by police in police interactions compared to white people. And I've seen counter information, you know, saying, well, in reality, it's, you know, more white people are killed by the police every year. More white people are just, you know, I mean, fine. There's more white people, so that should be true. But the perception of this being just a confirmation bias that, you know, we keep seeing videos of black people being harassed and killed by police, and it's just become this media frenzy, and it's not based in reality. That has a weird reflection for me when it comes to recovery. And my my instinct on that is something is wrong with the way the statistics are gathered with the way that the situations and the scenarios are analyzed. Because, because I've seen logically basically logically the same argument to explain why 12-step recovery absolutely is a failure, why it absolutely does not work. Statistically speaking, there is no reason to believe in it. There's no reason to think that it can ever actually be a source for sobriety, long-term sobriety or, or short because of the attrition rate, because of the statistics around, you know, I don't even know what. I, 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 it, it, they drive me nuts when I see studies presented, you know, they pop up in the news every few years, you know, studies showing why, you know, why Alcoholics Anonymous or 12-step recovery programs don't function, not in reality. Um, so if you want to take a broad stroke statistical view and treat all of this as though the actual experiences of people going through having these experiences as if they're invalid because statistically speaking they are the exception not the rule then why are we trusting anything to do with recovery, right? And I'm throwing that out there as a contrary, saying I, I do know it works, and I've seen it work, and it works to the extent that we work it, right? I can get sober when I want to get sober. <clears throat> and, you know, 
Conversely, when it comes to reviewing these, this notion of, well, are we just micro analyzing these situations, these scenarios that don't reflect the overall uh, system itself, when we focus in on the BLM, uh, you know, the, the, the issues that are being highlighted by the BLM movement, you know, if the, if, if we refuse to accept that that's, I don't know what the right way to put this. I mean, it's the same logic saying, well, no, statistically speaking, that's not true. So there, ergo, your entire argument is, you know, the entire argument that the system itself is weighted against people of color and that it needs to be changed because of this, you know, based off of these statistical, you know, data proving that it isn't actually a thing. It's just an anomaly that, you know... I, I don't know. It it it's the same. We're a very similar set of logic needing to be applied, right? I mean, it's not so much that like <laughs> that people of color need to believe that this is happening so that they can understand it, but it is kind of the converse of that, right? Like. And maybe that is maybe that is the underlying problem is the only people who really feel it and understand it are the people who have experienced it and the rest of the world see it as a thought experiment. And so when they look at the statistics, because it's just a thought experiment to them, then they say, well, no, I mean, statistically speaking, there's no reason for you to hold these beliefs. So, you know, get over yourself. But anyone in recovery has felt it. And they understand that it isn't statistically driven or, or whatever. I, I hate that. I mean, statistics are just statistics. It, it is more than the statistics. It is more than there's something bigger that underlies all of this. And it's <clears throat> that's why I say, like, the ability for us to statistically analyze it just needs to be, has to catch up with the reality, right? It's the same thing. People of color experiencing systematic racism, systemic racism. I'm, I'm having a trouble deciding which which term there is is appropriate, but you know their experiences. The fact that it's a thought experiment on the outside, and you just look at all the data around it and say, "Nah, that's that's not actually." I mean, yeah. Maybe you feel that way, but look at the whole data. Yeah, it's not real. And I guess I guess that's a, a, a weird spot for me to see people who I know are in recovery also poo-pooing any of the BLM stuff because, to me, it requires the same disenfranchising based off of arbitrary statistics. And... I don't know. Maybe that's part of what I'm trying to say with this podcast. Not that I think anybody who doesn't already kind of politically agree with me is going to listen to it, but I, it's plain to me that that's what this is. And when the resistance, the resistance to the on the ground reality being expressed by the BLM movement, right? And I guess that's the connection to recovery 
besides just the moving from heart is the awareness that yeah if you want to base um the way you move through the world exclusively on statistics but you're in recovery you're 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 confounding yourself and you need to look at it right and um i don't know i don't know what to do moving forward right like i i I know that I want to continue moving from the heart. I want to continue to believe people are moving from their place of the heart. But I saw a lot of people last night who espouse hate, right? And I didn't see any of that coming from the minority group who was trying to have a rally. I did hear that group... (laughs) being uh, tone deaf to the room, let's put it, right? There's a five to one group of people who really, really don't appreciate a lot of what you're saying. Probably not the best time to lean into rhetoric of violence and uprising, uh, which I did also hear coming from uh, some of the uh, rally uh, people. Um, Again, the exact same language being used two weeks prior at the other meeting, the other rally, rather. Um, the, the notion that it's inciting violence is kind of a misnomer because there aren't enough people in this city to that are going to get fired up and get violent, right? It's just the truth. And the only opportunity for violence is if a group of people come in and fill the gaps with their own contrary and very negative approach upon which any level of vitriol can be directed, right? Like, (sighs) there were a lot of people who were covered in Nazi and fascist regalia at that rally and not one of them was there in support of defunding the police. Um, to me that gives me an uncomfortable window into (sighs) at least the accepted aspect of people there to counter protest. Um, I mean, I know for me, if I went somewhere and found that there was a bunch of Nazis in support of what I was also in support of, it would give me pause, make me want to reevaluate exactly what it is I feel my position is on something and perhaps have a better, more clear understanding of why what I believe is also aligned with Nazis. But that is how I would approach it. Um, And doing the same for the rally that I was there to support, I, there was not, Nazis are hatred. (laughs) And 
there was language of violence and language of uprising. And I'm saying language because from where I stood, it was little more than performative. It was little more than a nod towards a broader cultural um, approach, a broader, you know, again, there's just a very small population of minorities in this town. So even if they, even if the, the collection of them at that rally, you know, a very small collection of people start using the language of violence, there's not enough to cause a mob effect. There's not a mob, right? There is a mob of counter-protesters. So I guess the counter-protesters were expecting a mob, I suppose, and that, you know, would feel rational and justified. I don't know. I don't know what any of it was. I do know that had the counter-protesters not arrived, the scene would have dissipated and nobody would have gave a fuck in terms of those people back home, right? The counter-protesters, they would have just rolled their eyes and been like, yeah, can't believe these morons, right? I don't know. And I suppose, you know, that 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 is the the burden and the ever never ceasing conundrum of uh the 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 downtrodden minority, right? I mean downtrodden might be a a, a exaggeration. I, I don't know. I'm not in the minority, so I can't speak for their experience for the people who I've heard speaking's experience, right? I believe what they say. I trust that they're telling their reality and they're revealing information that I, as a majority, a a white person in the majority, by definition, I'm not going to experience. I, uh, but that, that, that is the conundrum that they are perpetually in is in order to get their point across they have to be patient and move from the heart towards people who don't have that same approach to them and they have to continue to be you know stay on message stay calm stay consistent and stay patient and stay peaceful as long as they can if they have the hope of making the biggest impact right i mean i i it's all a thought experiment, right? I, I don't have to struggle against any of this. So it, it I can appreciate it to the extent that, yeah, you don't want to have to be always the per- person burdened with having patience and having the, uh, having it be upon you to explain why, what you're presenting to a broader audience has to be, um, acknowledged by that broader audience when they specifically are resistant to hearing any of it, right? Like it's a slow chipping away at that resistance and the, you know, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Like keeping it a message of peace and love. God, what a hippie that sounds like, but it is still the truth at your core, at my core, moving from that position is far more likely to penetrate in a lasting significant way within the hearts of others, right? 
if if it becomes a revolution, if it becomes violence, violence will always be met with violence. Whatever changes are being held in in place by violence must always maintain. Uh, you know, adhe- there's violence must be always maintained to keep it in place, right? Like that's counterproductive ultimately to the final goal. So as the minority people, the BLM people, the defund the police people, they are always already tasked, overly tasked with the need to be patient, the need to approach the situation with love and kindness in their hearts to the extent that they can, even in the face of, you know, people who don't want to hear it, right? The peaceful resistance approach (sighs) right now in Boise, Idaho, I don't see that that's not the right approach, right? Last night aside, not even, not even setting aside last night, you know, last night included. And it, and it remained peaceful. There was a handful of people who threw punches. There was a handful of people who got shit broken, but it didn't escalate. It didn't ignite. And, and the ironic thing, or I don't think consider it ironic, but the, the silly thing is seeing the counter protesters denigrating the defund the police rally people for calling in police. That is a scenario where the police are actually supposed to be there, right? That is the idea of keeping peace. That's their job. That is part of what that should be. That should be kind of the extent of it. So it's not ironic to be asking them to do that. That is almost honoring them more specifically because that's their training. This is a scenario where this is what they want to, whatever training they went through, what it was for. Let's do that all the time and call on other people when they're not needed that way, right? That's the whole point of the the rally. You hear? You see, I almost got heated right there. (laughs) I don't know. I guess this is far more political than anything I've released so far, at least that I can remember. I'm on the fence about whether I'll release it, it because... I don't want to, I, I want to catch more flies with honey, right? Like I, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not here to talk down to people. I'm, I'm certainly not intending to be pejorative towards people um, who are in recovery, who are trying to find sobriety and also square their own political views and, and live in the world today. Um, you know, that's difficult thing because um, you know I I felt for a while that with the growing uh, political divide in the country with the way people were feeling you know very left and very you know the left and right just not communicating with each other and and just this sense that you know we're living in two different worlds and, and two different realities and blah 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 I had this feeling that like the recovery rooms, like the the messaging there, the personal connection, the setting aside, the, the the identifying a commonality amongst people who otherwise, for the most part, wouldn't interact. Right, like that's one of my favorite aspects of the meetings that I no longer get to go to right now because of this pandemic. Is being 
in the presence of people who I wouldn't normally be around and who wouldn't normally be around me, right? Like it's a connection with people. It's a connection with human beings and understanding that at our core, we're all the same. And we all have the same insecurities and we all have the same <sighs> emptiness inside of us, right? As addicts and, and, and alcoholics, we, we've all felt this just void that needs to get filled and you know having a common experience having a common commonality amongst us it's it's a kernel of connection that we can build make broader right like we can i don't want to sound flowery but it is right like you can build bridges between people and you know you have radical left and radical right people who have this common issue being able to just set all that bullshit aside and just be like yeah man I can't I can't I can't stop once I start I can't stop and I had this now feels pie in the sky hope that maybe that approach maybe the rooms themselves because they're scattered everywhere through the freaking country and through the world really but especially through the country they're kind of everywhere that that would be this undercurrent this little kernel that could help quote unquote save our fucking country i don't know i don't know it wasn't a very well-formed thought it just i just had this sense of like camaraderie and peace and connectivity every time i i went through and and you know came came to a meeting and and came out of a meeting and, and connected with my fellow human being and felt they connected with me like I had this thought that maybe that little current could spread and like germinate and and in impact have a significant impact on the general culture culture as a whole but I don't know just a little tiny you know, tiny rally with a tiny amount of counter-protesters in a little tiny city in the Midwest here. Not the Midwest, the Northwest. Uh, Mid-Northwest, how about that? Even just that, like, I already see divisiveness among people who are those people that I was just referring to. People that I know from the rooms. I see them on air quotes both sides of this hating on each other, ardently tearing each other down. It makes me less optimistic that that the recovery rooms are going to provide that little germ of hope that I I was kind of hoping for. I was kind of secretly paying attention to in the background and kind of I guess part of what I was doing this podcast was to spread that out a little bit more to people outside of the rooms that I don't get to see all the time. I, I don't know that wouldn't necessarily get to meet me. I know I haven't given up hope on that. I just don't know that it's as straightforward as I naively believed it would be. Because the world's a tinderbox right now. This country feels like a tinderbox. That is only a few more weird unsettling events and and I don't mean to downplay people being killed and calling them weird I just mean salacious events that could kick this off and I don't know it feels like we're really in a precarious spot right now and and I don't I don't 
I don't feel good about it. And, uh, and this isolation is adding to it, right? Because of the inability for at least me and the people that I normally interact with getting the opportunity to, to, yeah, realize that there's political differences, realize that there's, uh, 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 faith differences, but not letting that get in the way of connecting as humans, right? Like we're not able to do that. We're siloed. There's so much strife being communicated and demonstrated and genuinely happening. (sighs) I'm left with my only thing that I can do for myself and for the people that I have any impact on and and influence or or, uh, interactions with is to try and move from the heart. Try and keep that in my conscious approach to my day to my interactions with people to what I see being presented try and move from the heart I don't know I feel like every time I've closed on one of these episodes I've found a way to feel optimistic by the end and like I've spread some positivity and and I'm not feeling that as much this time, right? Like my message is positive. I I do believe in this at my core. If we all truly move from the heart, by definition, that meaning consider the other person's heart and look at them as a positive, peaceful, good person and trust that they're doing that to you. Obviously, if everyone moved through the world like that, the world would be a better place. I'm not optimistic that that's catching on right now, even if little old me puts this podcast up and one or two people hear it and whatever. So, I don't know. Life life is hard, right? I mean... Life is hard for, for me, and I'm a middle-class white dude. Life is really fucking hard for people who aren't me, people who don't have the same privileges that I do, right? And I got a lot, and it's still hard for me, so I, I can only, I can literally only imagine how hard it is for others. And, and life is, you know, we only got one life. And I really, really... And I hope I hope everybody's appreciating that, right? And, you know, it's long and it's hard, but it's also short and it's going to be over soon. And my objective, and hopefully everyone's, is to try and have as peaceful an existence as possible. <sighs> my mind just reels with all the counter arguments for why it isn't possible for everyone. And, and I don't know what to do with that other than All I can do is impact my own world and my own life. And I've said it a million times now, and I'll say it again. I just want to move from the heart. So in truth, I do love everyone out there, especially my heart goes out to everyone out there. My heart goes out to everyone out there, and especially if you're in recovery and you're trying to get sober, or you're trying to stay sober, right? My heart goes out to you, especially right now. (sighs) Anyway, I uh, 
appreciate you for listening this far in and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Drop.